Well, good morning to you, my newest and bestest friends. I look forward to getting to know you better. Uh, likely, most of that will happen as I meet with committees and groups and teams and find out who's who and who's on what team, and I look forward to the chance to greet you more, uh, more in a more friendly way than just from here to there. Uh, oh, my goodness. Children's sermon. Aaron, I don't know where you are, but next time I'm going to come and sit down right beside you and maybe learn how to do that trick. That's a wonderful trick that you did during children's time. And if you don't understand anything that I say, if you don't even like what I say, think back to the children's sermon because he captured the text that we're going to look at this morning. We're in the book of James this uh, month. And so we're in the second chapter of James, and I think it's going to be right up here, reading out of the message. My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man, see here he goes and he tells a story. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in, right after him, and you say to the man in the suit, sit right here, sir. This is the best seat in the house. And you usher him in and show him all kinds of hospitality. And maybe you ignore the street person. Maybe you even say it out loud. Better sit here in the back row. You can come in, but why don't you stay, you know, kind of out of sight, low profile, if you do that, haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you're judges who can't be trusted? Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. The kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. And here you are abusing these same citizens. Isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you, who use the courts to rob you blind? Aren't they the ones who scorn the new name Christian and maybe actually abuse the name used in your baptisms? You do well when you complete the royal rule of the scriptures. Love others as you love yourself. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you go against the rule and stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose in these things, especially in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring others. Oh my goodness, the pragmatic side of James. The pragmatism of just saying it straight. No flowery misdirection, you know, no... Uh, big words, none of that misdirection kind of t teaching. He gets right to the heart of things. Here's the truth. There's another world out there, and we're insulated from it by our own place in the world. There's another world out there, and we are insulated to it, from it, by our own place in the world. We're protected by our jobs, our education, our financial advantage, our family heritage, perhaps. 
And we're even protected from the other world by the provincial traditions of our faith. Imagine the irony of that. It's a world of privilege and complicity. Our world shields us from the other world. And all these things keep us in place and at the same time keep the other world in its place. I could stop right there because that's a, really an unwrapping of the scripture itself, but I want to tell a story. Like James told a story, I want to tell a story. Uh, evangelical Christianity, the rather loose collection of very conservative uh, believers picked on one of its own stars in 1985. So this story has been around for a while. When a four-person tribunal was appointed to question Tony Campolo on matters of theology. I understand Tony has been here a couple of times. Is that right? How many of you heard Tony Campolo when he was here? He is a feisty person. It was a heresy trial, though. And it came about as the result of a group of evangelical free pastors in Illinois who convinced Campus Crusade for Christ to cancel his appearance at their summer program, the Youth Congress 85. Put very simply, Campolo had stirred up, he had stirred the bottom of the pot, we might say. And he stirred up their ire, their anger, a few weeks earlier by simply telling a story. Campolo's a great storyteller, isn't he? If you've heard him, you know that he's a master at it. He's a fabulous storyteller. He's able to see the story and connect it to the truth. And he tells stories that make you laugh so deeply you, you might have trouble catching your breath. But then on an other occasions, he tells stories so passionately you might sit there and weep in sorrow. That's how good a storyteller he is. And the challenge for some is that he's so provocative. Uh, I have a story when I was a campus minister in Texas and he spoke at our state meeting and the next day when I had driven eight hours to get home, the next day a pastor came up to me and said, is it true what Campolo said? That, that's a conversation that's not going very far. Is it true that's what he said? And it, and it was, and, and it was a provocative thing that he had to say to college students. College students are generally more open than most of us who've lived around the block a few times. Campolo doesn't flinch or hold back, and for some, that's a, upsetting come into a very straight-laced worship setting and then say something that tips over the first domino. He's an amazing guy. He's an American Baptist sociologist. He taught at Eastern Baptist College in Philly and was a popular speaker. I think he's still out speaking, but there was a point where he was speaking up to 500 times a year. This is a widely popular guy powerful teacher and a preacher and passionate about his faith. There's nothing uncertain about his faith at all. He digs deep into the, the ground of faith. In his role as, in sociology, however, Campolo made regular trips to Haiti to expose them to the worst poverty in the North American continent. 
It was a poverty immersion experience. I'm going to guess, uh, Melissa, that we've done some of that with teenagers. Um, a poverty immersion. It's not sitting on a pew and getting a lecture on poverty. It's actually going where poverty is and entering into that world. And we do it with kids. We do it with our teenagers because we want them to know what the world is like. What do we do with adults? Many of you know about a poverty immersion experience, but we've never done anything. Unless you arrive in Haiti at Port-au-Prince, the nation's capital, your plane won't land on a safe, paved airfield like we're accustomed to in most airports in North America. Instead, your small prop plane will land on a grass field with a metal shack for a terminal. It's backward and it's low-tech. It's shocking uh, as your first wheels hit the ground of how little of the amenities of technology are there. A few years ago, I went with a high school, the high school seniors of my church, and we traveled to Capation, which is where this landing strip is that Campolo would go in and out of. Many Christian groups, college and youth and otherwise, go in and out of Capation. And we saw first, firsthand this landing field that he describes in his story. And at the end of their, their week in Haiti, Campolo's group had gathered at this same metal shack and showed their papers and lined up out into the, the outer edge of the landing strip, ready to get onto the plane. And from the dense jungle, just adjacent to all of this, a woman and a baby began running toward them. She emerged unhindered. See, low tech, no security. And approached these college students with this baby. And she spoke rapidly in crude Creole English. Please, take my baby. Take my baby, please. And she held out her baby to these college students. 18, 19, 20 years old as a sign that she was deadly serious about her request. Campolo understood immediately what was happening. He understood because he had come to know about the desperate poverty that makes life in Haiti unforgiving for the poor. The mother had other children. She could not adequately feed or clothe. She and her family were on the cusp of starvation, and they had little hope of changing their plight. There's no hope in Haiti for changing your economic setting. No rescue from that kind of life was coming, and it was one more mouth that had to be fed, spreading their meager food supplies way too thin. She wanted them to take her baby so the child wouldn't die of starvation. The woman also understood something about Campolo's group because she had seen groups like his come and go so often. And that made her come out of the jungle running with this infant in her arms to these students who were headed back to America. And she understood they were Christian missionaries. She understood all of this because she had seen wave after wave after wave of students come and go. And she knew that in America there were ample resources for her baby. She was a mother desperate enough to give her baby to a faceless, nameless group of American students 
Surely one of them had the means to care for this child. And so she held out her baby to the group and tried desperately to place the baby in their arms. You know how that can be done where you just hold it out and the reaction is to take the child and had, had the child been taken, that would, have, that would have stalled this story. The woman had to be restrained in order for the group to get on the plane and close the door, but that didn't stop her. As the plane was taxiing down the runway, she ran beside it, holding out her baby, and they could see the words on her lips, please, please take my baby. Campolo said, what made that experience transformative for him was that he recognized he wasn't looking into the face of the mother or the baby, either one. And it didn't matter to him. He felt like he was looking into the face of Jesus. He said it mattered not to him whether she was Christian or whether she was a worshiper of the the primitive animistic religions of the island. When I was staying there for a week at night, we had the windows open because we had no air conditioning, and I could hear the drumbeat of the animistic religions that were up in the hills. It didn't matter to Campolo about any of that, though. All he could see was the face of someone loved by God, and he recalled the haunting words of Jesus. The words of Scripture came forward. When you have done it to the least of these, you have done it unto me, Matthew 25. Jesus said that to his followers as a way for them to think about what it means when we look eyeball to eyeball to other creatures like us. For Campolo, he looked into the desperate eyes of the mother offering up her child, and he was looking into the face of Christ, who images himself in the face of every human being. This is the part that was difficult for the conservative Christians who brought him forward for heresy. It's a theology called imago Dei. In Latin, the image of God. This is a a teaching out of scripture that all of us bear the imago Dei. Whether you're a Christian or a Jew, or a Muslim, or, or none of the above. Everybody in, in Hebrew and Christian thinking speak about this Imago Dei. And so to look into the face of one other person is to look into the face of Christ. When we read these words from James, we realize that our problem is a problem of recognition. We're caught looking at the world through the lens of race, or class, or economics, or education, or social standing of one kind or another. That's the lens we look at other people through. It's our own lens. The truth of God calls out to us to simply see one another as God sees us. That's all there is to it. To have the the spiritual imagination to begin to understand that everyone around you bears this image. None of us is any better or any worse than the other. And it seems to raise the question, who does God love best? 
my two brothers, both of them, uh, one older, one younger, we still talk about who did mother love the most. Don't you know? Who did, who did our parents really love? Who were they suspect about? It's a game that we play as, as kids about our parents, about who, got, who they loved the most. The game is being played among us children, and we don't seem to realize that God loves us like a parent who loves all children equally. When the truth of the matter settles in, we'll have a different way of seeing the world. When you begin to see Imago Dei in others, you will begin to see others in a very different light. God's love is shared evenly and equally no matter what country we hail from or what part of the world we call home. It matters not. God loves us no matter what gender we are, male or female. God loves us one and all. God loves us in spite of where we are in life. My spiritual home in the United Church of Christ uh, has a way of saying it this way, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're welcome here. That was compelling good news to me when I first heard it. If it can't be true in the church, where will it be? Where will we experience this kind of open-handed open-armed welcome that God offers to all persons. I have haunting memories of the first church that I pastored in San Antonio, Texas, and we began to have a conversation with a Hispanic Baptist church with whom we had really significant comparisons together. We lived together in generally the same community we began to explore what would it be like for our two congregations, mine which was primarily Anglo and theirs which was uh, primarily Hispanic but in both languages. What would it be like if we thought about merger? They had lived in a historic uh, neighborhood. They had trouble with the community about making any changes in their building and they were landlocked. We, on the other hand, had, we were a little freer than that. We had a huge building. And we thought about what would it be like if we could come together and have a multicultural congregation. I would stay and the other senior pastor would stay. We would co-pastor together. I would preach in the English service on, uh, really kind of every other week. And he would preach in the Hispanic service and we were, we were imagining something that was very brave. And I remember when we were having the long conversations, you can imagine what the long conversations were like in this primarily elderly church that had the resource of real estate and space. And then to begin to think about coming together and changing all of that and merging together And I remember the elderly deacon, he was in his 90s, and he stood up and voiced this question. I understand we're all going to share eternity in heaven, but do we have to start now? A rare moment of truth-telling in the congregation that is a haunting memory for me. Folks, heaven would be filled with strangers if we don't open our eyes to how wide the net is that God is casting in the world. 
when your time to elevate comes along and you wonder, where did all these folks come from? It may be the rudest shock of eternity. It will ultimately be a community of God's children from all over the globe, everywhere, every time zone, every language, every people group, every appearance. And we'll all be gathered around the grace and love of God offered to us in Christ. It will be a family so big we have to admit it. It has one of everything. That's kind of my joke about the church anyway. we got one of everything. Some that's more true than others. It will be a family where no child is thought differently than any of the rest because we all know we're God's favorite. Maybe it would ease the burden of eternity if here and now we would see the world as God sees it and begin to practice equality between us. Maybe we would begin to see the world differently if we had an experience such as Campolo had that caused him to shatter all the false ideas of preference that we carry around in our heads and in our hearts. Maybe it would do us well to seek to live that way right here and right now while we have the time. Pray with me, please. God of grace and glory, thank you for the imagery of the face of Christ, the face of God on all of us. Little, big, old, young, no matter what race. Thank you, O oh God, for your love and your grace in us and through us. Amen. As you go from this place today, go knowing that you're created in the image of God who loves you and cares for you and reaches out to you in the good grace of Christ. Go also with the idea that you will share that love, that you'll look into the eyes of those around you in your neighborhood and in your community and where you shop and where you live. Go with the love of God in your hearts. Amen.